So how many have been minted to date out of those 9,895? So I'm 8,606. So it's about 87%. Wow. If you asked me a couple weeks ago, it was probably at a thousand and, and change, right? But at the level of activity we're having right now, there's so much demand right now that uh, I'm probably just going to mint uh, the rest in the next couple of days here. That was Seb, who is the founder of Crypto Arte, one of the very first generative art projects on the Ethereum blockchain. When collectors think of CryptoPunks, one of the reasons they find value in them is that they are considered the project that inspired the ERC-721 standard, which of course is the Ethereum standard for NFTs. So they're historic from that perspective. Now, when you think about the rise of generative art and art blocks as a platform, you have to ask the question, who did it first? In this interview, at the time of this recording, we mentioned CryptoArte as being the first generative art project, but now it looks like they're number two after finding that the first Mooncats Mint occurred in August of 2017, whereas CryptoArte was August 2018. Now, to further complicate things, if we were to ask who is the first generative art project whose artwork is also fully stored on-chain, I believe that title goes to Autoglyphs, which is the second Larva Labs project after CryptoPunks. Needless to say, even if CryptoArte is number two, it's a very early project and certainly the first NFT project to visualize the blockchain. If you want to own a part of generative art history at half an ETH, you can pick one up. With all that, this is Seb Brocher, founder of CryptoArte. Sebastian, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to to chat because I know that you know you and I got together on Discord. I, I guess it was probably a couple months ago, right? Like at least like four or five months ago, something like that. And we started chatting about your project, and we went pretty deep. And I was like, "Gosh, we should probably put this into a podcast format." Yeah, yeah, that was that was great, and it it feels like years in crypto time, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably a few months ago. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really curious if we could get into a touch on your background and then how you got into the kind of generative art scene and what was going on. Like, take us back to that that moment in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm from Argentina originally. I did computer engineering there, and you know, been. On, on computers for my whole life. My, my mom was uh, into computers and computer science as well. And growing up, I was uh, kidding with her the other day. She I used to play with her punch cards. Oh, nice. <laughs> like old school computers. That's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, it that comes from that. And, you know, we had like geometry and design books around the house and things like that. So I think a lot of my interest in like kind of modern art and, and computer science comes from uh, all of that background. I also studied music. My dad uh, played music, so I studied like five years of uh, piano, right? So I always lo- kind of love art. And I remember vividly one of uh, my first uh, experiences programming e computer was with my dad, right? He brought home the Commodore uh, 128, mm-hmm. which at the time was like mind blowing, right? Oh, wow, we have a computer, right? He hooked it up to the, to the TV at the time, yeah. right? <laughs> And uh, so we programmed a little basic program that, to play an invention uh, by Bach, right? Yeah. And, and that was, wow, that blew my mind. Like, wow, I can program the computer to play music, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I was in the same boat, by the way. I had a Commodore 64 and that was my, I, that was my first memory of a computer. And same thing, sat down and for some reason I just wanted to type in 
that basic program line by line and watch it do something. And it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, wow, that's awesome. We had the same experience. Yeah, it, it was amazing, right? Like you could program it and drive, draw sprites and all that stuff, right? It was mm-hmm. super fun. So anyway, that's kind of what got me into programming. And then fast forward, I think it was about 2000, maybe 2005 or something like that. Somebody showed me the processing language and they did because I was doing some sort of graphic and I wanted to kind of make it a little more artistic. And so they were like, wow, you should check this out. Like you should, because I was trying to build my own thing and I was they were like, no, just use this. This is awesome. So I looked into it and that, that was amazing. I loved it. Right. At the time I did a little bit of art, but I wasn't, I wasn't that much into it. And then going back maybe like four years around 2017, so I run a, a software con- uh, consulting and you know, custom development company, right? And we most we work mostly with entrepreneurs and, and uh, early stage startups, some growth startups too. And at the time, a lot of people were asking me about like Ethereum, right? And blockchain. And they were like, hey, Seb, can, uh, can you help us build this? Or what do you think about this idea? And I didn't really know much about it. I, you know, obviously I heard of Bitcoin, but I wasn't really into the the crypto scene, right, to, to say, right? So, yeah. um, you know, so it's how like, hey, sorry, I'm healthy. I don't know much about it, but to look into it. And that could happen like two or three times. I'm like, okay, I really need to look into this. So I looked into Ethereum and I loved it right right away. I was like, wow, this, this is awesome. The smart contracts concept on how you can program blockchain and it's like an immutable API that you're basically storing there forever, right? And that anyone can execute and, and yeah. run, right? And, and that has, you know, transactions and built in and the cryptocurrency built in that, that I thought was like, wow, this is a programmable money computer. It's amazing, right? So then I got like fascinated by it. I wanted to learn more. And so I did a bunch of experimentation with it, right? Wrote some contracts, uh, built some tutorials there out there on Medium and I did some open source around them. And then eventually I got to the point where I, okay, now I know uh, enough about it. I want to build something with it. I want to actually have a decentralized application. I want to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had the idea of like, well, I want to do something fun and it needs to be something that I can do on the side a few hours a day type thing, right? So it, it had to be something simple, but yet I wanted it to be like an actual application. I wanted to have some real part of the tech stack, right? Like do something fun with it. So that's kind of how, how it all got to be. You know, I kind of mix my artistic interest in, 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 in generative art together with the computer science and Ethereum, we kind of all got together. I'm like, oh, wow, why don't I do, you know, a mix of all those things? And the ERC-71 standard just uh, came up, right? And there was like a few projects out there, maybe CryptoKitties and CryptoPunks and kind of got got inspired by those. And that's, yeah, that's how it all started. Cool. So let's let's jump to that moment in time. So ERC-721, so what had launched... CryptoPunks came out and then Kitties shortly thereafter, right? You decided to create something that was generative. Did you consider CryptoKitties to be generative or I guess they were unique in that they would have these breeding mechanics, right? Was that something that you were looking at as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was definitely interesting, right? From, 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 
the project's perspective, obviously, and the, and the technology too, right? It kind of crossed my mind, but I didn't, I didn't want to go so much into the gaming aspect of it. I wanted to kind of stay more on, into the art itself, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, I'm always being kind of also drawn to visualizing data as well, right? And so that's kind of more of the direction that I, I went was, I think, because I, I, I like the idea of visualizing data and, and mixing that with art, right? Right. Um, and so my, uh, my whole concept really was like, well, I, you know, but the reason I was doing all these tutorials and all this experimentation was because I love the tech and I was like, wow, this is so amazing. More people should know how it works and, and I want to help spread the word. Right. And also because at the time there wasn't that much uh, good documentation. Right. So I was trying to help it, help make it more accessible for a developer to learn how to develop on Ethereum. Right. So, but also the same thing kind of coming back to what we were just saying, like people still like don't really know, right. How blockchain works. Right. Mm-hmm. So I kind of mixed all that together and I was like, Hey, let's make a project that's fun that's artistic, but that also can help people spread the word about Ethereum and, and tell others how it works. What What is blockchain? Well, it's a chain of blogs and, and so on and so on, right? So like I can purposely you know, build the project and the art in a way that you can use it to explain how Ethereum works to others. And so that you know, can help spread, spread the word about uh, the technology and you know how it works. Great. And so that's what became... Crypto Arte, which is your your project. And I'm curious, walk us through what that in your head, what was that first version going to represent visually on the screen? Like what did you what parameters did you want to put into it? And what would the how would the art come about? Yeah, yeah. So yes, my first thought was let's let's represent blocks, right? Because at the foundation of, of the blockchain, that's what we have, right? So the first thing was like, okay, how many blocks do I have to date? And it was a little less than 6 million. I, I forgot the exact number, but call it five and a half or something like that, right? And so that's how many blocks I had to work with, right? And then my other parameter was, I want this to fit nicely in an 8K resolution screen, right? Or monitor, because mm-hmm. I thought this is very modern art. People are going to um, want to see it on like really high quality, uh, high definition TVs or screen. That aspect ratio is not that common maybe for mm-hmm. uh, artistic projects, but I wanted it to be that, right? I wanted it to fit perfectly in a high-res screen. Right. And can you, uh, can you pause for one second and, and tell us just like what a block is? I, I just want to, for the people that are new to cryptocurrency or may not know what an Ethereum block consists of or how often they're created, what what exactly is that? Yeah, yes. So essentially the network is decentralized, right? And there's miners that are running like really challenging. They're trying to solve really challenging problems, right? Their calculations, right? And so they are all competing for that. And, and essentially when they mine, they, they bundle together a lot of transactions, right? So different folks in the network will be submitting transactions to the network, right? Hey, mint these or purchase these or send some ether to my friend, right? Each of them are, are transaction there mm-hmm. and they get you know, they all get to this kind of pool and then the miners pull from there and assemble blocks, right? And they, they solve a really challenging problem. And if they do, they're rewarded for doing so. And then they get to mine that block. And once they do that, then the block is confirmed by others in the network. And then eventually it comes, uh, it becomes a part of, of the network, right? And so then... Right. Um, and so it's like a, a, basically a historic representation of the activity that's ha- that has happened on the blockchain, right? So like there's, it's you can think of it as kind of like one block happens after another in a sequential kind of forever ongoing chain. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the technology guarantees that uh, you can't really change them. So it's immutable and they're, that's why they're chained together, right? In, and, and, and they're all consecutive. Each of them has a hash that's unique and there's a mechanism to guarantee that, that that's the case, right? Right. So as a programmer, you can say, okay, well, I can look at this data because I have and will forever have the historic list of blocks that are out there. And I can take those blocks and read them and look at them. And then you said, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to visualize them. Like, because people don't typically think of this as visual data. You know, when these blocks come through, it's, it's data. It's like text <laughs> and, and, and data. So uh, what, how did you make the leap from saying, okay, I have blocks and I want to, to visualize them? And, and then how did you, what did you decide to do? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the first thing I did is we're like, well, look at the, you know, what is the raw data? What, what can I get from it? Right. And then the second thing was like, well, out of this, what's most important, but also what's kind of something that inspires me from an artistic perspective, right? That I can think of like a fun representation and visualization, right? So I wanted to get some of the main in there to effectively kind of communicate the, that history of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted each painting to be unique, right? Because that's kind of at the core of the NFT idea, right? Like you want this tokens to be non-fungible, right? And so kind of combining all of those requirements together, if you wish, right? So essentially got it down to, I want to show how congested or not the network is, right? So essentially how much uh, people are paying in gas fees. I want to show, you know, how much uh, ETH is being transacted, Right. Is there a lot of money changing hands at any given time or very little? And I also wanted to show difficulty, right? Or know how difficult it is for a miner to mine, right? And then there's other aspects also that that, that I thought were, were really cool and very interesting, important to, to explain. And uh, the miners are one of them, right? Without the miners, the network wouldn't be there, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's linked also to the decentralization aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. The more different miners are mining, uh, effectively, the blocks, mm-hmm. then the more decentralized the network is, right? right? If, you, if the tech can be there, if that, that if there's only one miner that's mining all the blocks, then it's not really decentralized, right? And so I wanted to show that. I wanted to kind of uh, use that as a core part of like the centerpiece, if you wish, of, of the art to display those miners, right? That, that kind of have that also historical moment as they are mining the blocks uh, through time, right? There's also the hashes, the block hashes, because that brings... Uh, unique aspect to each block and then the time timestamps and block numbers as well so that's that's a full list i think wow so how do you take each one of these and then translate it to something graphical like for example you mentioned the difficulty in mining that can fluctuate right so Mm -hmm. is that what represents like the background of the image what represents there's like these, if you zoom in on on these, and of course we'll have links in all the show notes, but if you zoom in on some of these pieces of art, each kind of one has a different background. Each one has a different kind of, how would you describe the centerpiece of it? It's like this vector yeah. kind of wrapped graphic <laughs> in the center. Yeah, um, yeah, the minor icons. Yeah, yeah. Or so, hieroglyphics. Yeah. yeah, so can you just take just like one cell? Because these are made up, If you obviously you're, people are listening to audio here, but these are made up of just a bunch of different, I don't know if you'd call them cells or not, but are, are those each a block or what are those, what does each square represent? Yeah, exactly. Each of those are a block, right? So the, okay. the, the painting is, again, kind of trying to fit that 16 by 9 ratio that you get on like a 4K or 8K TV. And the actual painting is 8K resolution, right? So what I did is I divided those, kind of divide and conquer 
type strategy, right? It's like, okay, I have about five and something million blocks to work with. I want to build something that's about 10,000 paintings. Mm. Uh, and that gave me how many blocks I could fit on a 16 by nine ratio. Right? So, so that number gave me like 576 blocks per painting. Okay, so, so there's 576 <laughs> of these little squares per painting, which is, <laughs> exactly. which is a block. And so how much time does that represent? So is it is it linear in the sense that the first upper left block then going right and down the screen mm -hmm. represents the passage of time? Exactly, yeah. Okay, and so what does one, one piece of artwork represent time-wise? Um, so it changed during the, the history of Ethereum, right? Because the speed and... and I don't know the specifics, right? But they change over over time a little bit, right? But it's typically somewhere I think around three hours, so you know something like that. <laughs> the the each painting actually has it on on the website. You can see how many seconds there are, right? And the the first block has a timestamp on the top, and the last block also has a timestamp. So if you actually subtract them you'll get the number of seconds that that painting was alive for, right? Or that <laughs> the period of uh, history that that represents, right? Those timestamps are on uh, like a Unix epoch, right? So it's the number of seconds since 1970, since, since January 1st, 1970, right? So you know, actually, by looking at the painting, you can know what period of time that painting represents. Very cool. Okay, so we, we've got the, I understand each individual square now. Now, mm -hmm. how about the background color? What is that? Yeah, yeah. So that one is, I try to convey kind of what, uh, you know, sometimes uh, uh, colors can be, can be funny, right? But I, I try to fix them so that they encode the signals that, that kind of made sense, right? Red for gas and congestion and fees. Green encodes the amount of ether transacted or, or money. And, so, uh, so different shades of green, meaning like if it's a, a darker green, there would be more ether transferred? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and if it, it has a more red component to it, then that means that gas was really representative or very, very high for that time. But it's also very smooth out, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Blue is also difficulty. And then there's a transparency setting that also gets derived by the number of transactions in that block, right? So it, it's a mix of all those four parameters, but it's also very, very smooth out for relative, more kind of relative to each other block, right? Because... If you just did like a rough encoding of the values, you would end up with something that's very ugly, at least for me, right? Because the data is so rough, right? This is not like soft data, kind of a continuous function type thing. It's more like very almost random in nature, right? Like somebody comes and does, you know, all these transactions for all this money and then nothing happens. And then it, it changes very fast, right? Mm -hmm. And so that wasn't as aesthetically pleasing, right? So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of achieve the goal of telling the history of Ethereum, but not, but, but not by sacrificing aesthetics, if you were sorry. I kind of did a, a little bit of a compromise there, right? Like it's very smooth. And I treat each of those signals with different mathematical functions so that I could get the kind of color palettes that I was looking for as well. Gotcha. Now, I, I would imagine if there are moments in time where there are significant events on the Ethereum blockchain, you could then jump to those moments of time and see them visually represented. Meaning, let's just say, probably one of the first projects, CryptoPunks, I would say was under the radar and that it, it didn't, I was, I was around and was very fortunate enough to, to kind of process a few of those and get 10 of them early on. But it wasn't like a fight for 
the punks. It, 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 it didn't seem like it seemed like Crypto Kitties was probably the one where all of a sudden Ethereum was breaking, mm-hmm. right? And it was just like <laughs> gas was going crazy, and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, this is huge!" And everything's break. Do you mm-hmm. if, if you jump to that moment in time? and look at the visual representation that you have created, would you see like a, a completely like red screen because there's just so much gas being spent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually on the about page, the CryptoKitties event is linked to, and it's painting 7995. And I'm looking at it right now. I don't, I didn't remember that. It's, and it's also flagged. It has a historical significant block in it. So very few paintings have that attribute, right? Oh, interesting. Um, so you marked them as, as significant. How many different ones did you mark at this point is, is significant? Yeah, I'm going to say 32, but I, I may be off by one or two, but somewhere around that number. Very cool. So people are, yeah. can collect, like for someone would want to have 7995 because that is the visual representation of when uh, CryptoKitties launched. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, most of those are, are sold by now, but uh, yeah, there's many others. Uh, actually, if you go into the Discord, you'll see like, you know, right now we're having big wave, right? So like, you can see like folks looking for other historical moments as well, right? Oh, that, that you um, didn't call <laughs> out in Mark. <laughs> right, right. But they still like, hey, this is going to be valuable because X uh, event happened uh, there, right? This transaction or this event on the Ethereum network or uh, things like that, right? But uh, my favorite one, probably, well, I probably have two favorite, right? The uh, Painting Zero, because that has a, a Genesis block, obviously, right? Which, uh, by the way, has no minor icon in it, but I don't want to digress so much. But uh, my second favorite probably is uh, Painting 80, because that's the one where, like, the first transaction ever uh, of Ethereum happened, right? And you can see that it has, like, this bright red block, and that's a block where... Oh, very cool. That that's that's awesome that you were able to kind of you can pick that up and see it visually. Now we didn't cover the inside graphic, like the the like vector piece of it. That so is that the, related to the miner? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the miners have uh, a unique address because it's needed for the network, right? And so that unique address essentially I encode it to to that miner, right? And the way it's done, it, it's a deterministic a transformation, right? So it's, it's each icon is unique to the to the miner, right? And I did it so that they can be visually, you can tell them apart pretty fast, right? So they're composed of different layers and the transparency is such that you can see that, right? And so yeah, each miner has its own icon and there's a there's a miners gallery that you can see on, on the website as well, where you can actually go through the miners. It's kind of like going backwards into the in, into the paintings, if you wish, right? Like there's this other dimension where you can see the network in order of, you know, the miners that appeared in order on the history of Ethereum, right? So if you go to the, the miners gallery, you can see that uh, happening and you can see which paintings they appear in as well. That's very cool. That, that, that's awesome. So, oh yeah, I'm looking at uh, actually painting number 80 here. I see that red block that you're talking about. Right, right. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So when you launch this, w- would this historically, would this be considered in your mind as the very first generative piece of crypto art out there? Is that why there's so much interest in it these days? Yeah, I think so. At least I don't know if there might have been other 
projects in other in, in Bitcoin way back when uh, folks were doing coins and other things, right? But yeah, I think I think it is like <laughs> it's funny because when we chatted a few months ago, I don't know if you remember this, but I wasn't very sure about it. Yeah, I was like, oh, let's let the community kind of decide that. But by now, I'm pretty sure because you know I, I've spoken to so many folks uh, since then, and now you know it's pretty much everybody I think has come to consensus of like this being the first uh, generative art project on, yeah, on Ethereum. Yeah. That's that's initially why I reached out because I was trying to do a little bit of crypto archaeology here and go back and say, <laughs> okay, this is a very important new art form. Like where 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 did this begin? You know, and and if you take a look at what happened in terms of Autoglyphs launched April eighth, twenty nineteen. You launched August fifteenth, twenty eighteen. That's is that correct? Uh, actually. I, it was July of 2018. July. Was, uh, okay. July that, oh, that's right. It was July. I think because you and I like, you like share with me all the, that's the beautiful thing about it. Like you share me the smart contract code, right? You can see it right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm going with. You know, obviously yeah. I started working on it earlier, but I'm going with the contract transaction date and it's, uh, it is uh, July 11th, 2018. Yeah. Right. And then there was one called K Composition, which launched on mm-hmm. April 27th of 2019. Yeah. So that was after Autoglyphs. Now, Autoglyphs were considered to be the uh, obviously historic in a couple different ways. One, they they were completely on chain as mm-hmm. well. Or is everything that you do on chain? That's a great question. No, it's not. So the the contract tracks the token ID or the, mm-hmm. the painting number. Excuse me. The it tracks the image hash. So the AK image for the painting, I hash it and that hash is stored on chain for authenticity, right? So you right. can verify the, the basically the, the same way CryptoPunks did it. Exactly. Yes. I right. I I the only difference is they did like one huge image, right? Right. Of all the punks because the punks are small, so you can do that. But I couldn't do that. It's like way too much data, right? So I have a different hash for each painting and that the, the, the hash for each painting is what's stored on chain, right? And, and then the other thing um, that's stored on chain is the URL to the API that has the metadata. Now, that's what I have today. I've been, it's funny because I, I was listening to your episode with gentleman from Arweb, right? And you were talking about the, you know, mutability and, and, and permanent storage and, right. and all of that, right? And I had looked at IPFS earlier, but I didn't want to put the 8K images on IPFS because they are what people nowadays call unlockable content, meaning that if you own the token, then you can go to the uh, DAP and you can download the image, but the image is not publicly available, right? Mm. And then as owner, you can decide what to do with it, right? If you want to put it on chain or you want to... Yes. Where do you want to start or you want to share it or, or what, right? But anyway, I'm digressing, but the, I, I don't want to put the 8K images on, on IPFS. And at the time, this was very early. Like that's kind of what I had thought of. How can I use IPFS for, for, for the project, right? But coming back to the episodes of you know, hearing the gentleman from, from Arwe, I've been actually looking at the contract for the last few weeks. And it looks like it may be able to upgrade that. And I, I don't want to overpromise because I haven't tested it and it could be actually a lot of effort. It could be actually pretty expensive to do as well. But I think I actually left it uh, open enough so that I could upgrade and put more on-chain. Oh, interesting. Well, that that would be fantastic in terms of just having that stored, you know, historically and forever. I mean, you have the hash, but the, I guess the... It's the it, it's the question with a lot of these projects, right? Because in the early mm-hmm. days, you didn't even there was no IPFS, right? When you first created this, like there there was there it, you had to host it yourself, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, IPFS was around. I did a tutorial on it. So was it, it actually functioning back then? I, uh, I thought it, it was more of a concept back then. <laughs> It, it it was, but it wasn't very. I was just barely getting started. <laughs> right, it it was it was glitchy and it wasn't very easy to use, and it wasn't clear if it was gonna you know how long it was gonna really stay for, or like if people were really actually gonna use it, right? Or at least for me, it wasn't right. So, so yeah, it, I, I I guess I'm fortunate. What's funny is that I left open the ability to update the hash and to update the URL for the API, right? And the reason for that was like, because the contract itself is immutable, right? So I'm like, well, if I don't, if I do a mistake, I, I can't fix it, right? And this is going to take me a long time to mint, right? It's a very large collection. So and the, the, the contract is verified. You can look at the source code, uh, right, on, on Etherscan, right? And it's funny because there's this comment, right? It says to be used only to fix <laughs> errors, right? Um, but it turns out that I may be actually able to use that to upgrade uh, and put more things on chain. I'm thinking at least the metadata, but maybe the low res or the mid res images. I know I don't know if IPFS or Arweave or where exactly, but that's something that I definitely would love to do. I'll say I'll have to try it out, but I, I want to mint the whole collection first. And then I'm going to uh, try and do that. And if I do, then the last step would be to renounce ownership of the contract, which is something I also uh, can do from the contract. And that means I would never uh, be able to change it anymore, right? Because once it's unchanged, I wouldn't want to leave it open, right? Right. That makes sense. This, so this is really interesting. It gets us into the minting process because when you first launched this, you had to go out and find... You, you had everything in place to go and mint these, right? But it would cost you gas to do so. And yeah. so what was the process like? I mean, back in 2018, did anyone care to even go and mint these? Like how many were being minted? <laughs> what did that What did that look like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was super slow, super, super slow at first. And we, the, the project has been through waves of interest over time. Not all of them clear on how they got started. Right. But at the beginning, it was super, super slow. Like, say, a painting, you know, every couple of weeks and be jumping up and down. It's like, yeah, someone, <laughs> someone found crypto arte. Right. And the other aspect is, I actually, the way the contract works, I'm actually the only one that can mint. The contract owner is the only one uh, allowed to mint. Oh, so interesting. It, yeah, yeah. So it works a little bit different than uh, most contracts uh, nowadays or more, most projects, right? Like the typical 10K. PFP project that, that you see out there, right? Like, yeah, where like users can go and mint, right? And everybody's hitting the same endpoint and minting something randomly and then they get uh, a token, right? Which is great, but uh, just not how this one works, right? So yeah, I'm the only one that can mint. So over time, I've been minting until uh, recently. That was going at different speeds depending on demand. And for, and for how would that work? Would you have someone come to you and to the website and say, okay, I would like to purchase one of these. And then they would send you ETH and then you would go and mint them one manually. <laughs> yeah, so at, at the beginning, what I did is I minted probably, you know, 20 or 30, 40, I forgot how many, maybe a hundred, right? And I listed those on the side, the, the whole gallery is on the site, but I'm sorry, I, I listed those on OpenSea, right? So the contract is interoperable with OpenSea and I did that integration API with them back then, right? They were... Mm -hmm one of the only folks around like back then, right? And then other platforms started coming out too. But I, I, I talked to the devs there. They were super helpful and I love working with them and uh, 
they gave me a couple of tips. And one of the things I realized is like, hey, building the auction mechanism is actually really hard and it's going to take a lot of effort. And, and I want to focus more on the art, right? And so what I did is I built a contract, I minted a bunch, and then I would uh, manually go and list them at OpenSea to sell them there, right? So they were my storefront of sorts. And then eventually I build uh, my own contract. So I have a second contract that's a sales contract. And that contract is actually very simple. It's also verified. And the way it works is you send it ETH, you execute the purchase uh, token uh, function, and then it transfers the token to you. And so basically you're purchasing the token instead of minting it, uh, if that makes sense. I see. And so you'd still have to go and manually actually mint it yourself with the original contract, but then someone could go and, and purchase it without it having to go through OpenSea or you having to list it. They could just buy it directly from the site. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So gotcha. I mint them and once I mint it, then you can purchase them by using the other contract, which is not that different from the contract that OpenSea has, right? Except that right. it's a lot more simple, right? It doesn't do like auctions or things like that, but essentially uses the same type idea that any other marketplace would use, right? So I kind of upgraded myself to actually now I have a, a, a mechanism where you can go to the side and purchase that token if it's available. Now I did have for a little while, I did have this function where you could actually request a painting as well mm. or request a, a minting, but it just got, it was impossible to scale because like, I think this last Monday, previous Monday was when this last wave really, really took off. And all of a sudden I had 20 requests to process and that took me like, you know, three hours. And so I had to pause that because it obviously doesn't scale to the level of uh, activity we're having now. And so now I'm just going through, you know, the rest of the collection and minting it in order. And uh, Crazy. So how how many, this this is fascinating. Let's, Let's unpack this a little bit. So how many are there in total did you decide are are because I mean you could you could in one position would be okay, I can just go and continue to mint there's new blocks being produced all the time. This could just <laughs> be an ongoing project forever, right? <laughs> but did you you decide to put a cap on it? Yeah, yeah, it is cap at nine thousand eight hundred and ninety five, which is the original collection I published on the site back then and uses the data that was available when I started crunching data. But I could totally do that. The contract act actually does not cap it on its own. There's many contracts that do. This one uh, doesn't. I don't think I had seen that before. I saw it years later, but but I do have the, the ability to renounce, right? So my plan is like once I'm done and like all is minted and I have the 9,895 and I look at maybe putting it uh, more on chain as well, then I would probably renounce and that way. It, that That's what would cap it in the actual blockchain, but I already you know committed to it's right. 9,895. And actually, to be honest, also it would be a huge amount of work because I would have to recalculate uh, a bunch of statistics, right? Because the way the metadata, the, the statistics are calculated doesn't work. If you keep adding miners, you can't just keep adding, right? You need to recalculate the whole thing for the set as a whole. Right, gotcha. And, and so how many have been minted to date out of those 9,895? Yeah, so I'm 8,606, so it's about 87%. Wow. Yeah, should be should be done pretty soon here at, at the level of activity. If you asked me a couple weeks ago, it was probably at a thousand and, and change, right? But at the level of activity we're having that uh, right now, there's so much demand right now that uh, I'm probably just going to mint uh, the rest in the next couple of days here. So, how does someone um, purchase one if they want to? They're like, okay, that's awesome. You're you're creating some new ones that haven't been sold yet. What what's mm-hmm. what's the pricing and how does someone purchase one? Yeah, they're all at point uh, one ETH. 
and you can purchase them from the site. So on, on Discord, we have a, a channel for collectors where I publish the transactions whenever I'm minting. So from time to time, I'll go into Discord and like, hey, here's a hundred more paintings. And when those are released, you can purchase them. But right now, there's also a bunch that are available that you can go to the site and just purchase from there. You just you know connect your, your wallet and you can purchase uh, them from the site. Point one, Ethan, I mean, that's, that's, that's nice in that you're not... I mean, the prices on, on things have gone crazy lately. It's 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 it's, it's nice to hear that you, you haven't decided to charge three ETH or something for these things. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the, the the space is going so fast, right? Things are changing so fast. It used to be that the prices would change or on the on, during the sales of the collections. At some time, I experimented like way back. I was selling this ones for I think for point zero two, right? Which maybe it was like also twenty bucks, right? Right. <laughs> and then eventually I experimented with price. I, I, yeah, I made it a little higher. I, I tried up to point two, and folks were still buying it. But then I got a little bit of, of pushback as well. So I'm like, okay, well, next time I'm going to ease back. Like point one seems to be like a good uh, a good point where like I want to keep it affordable, right? I don't I don't want it to be like something that you know most folks cannot afford, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. um, so I'm on the site right now. Where, where does one purchase it? If, if we were to guide people through there, do they click on the gallery if they want to purchase one of the ones that are live now or they have to wait to Discord until you drop a new batch? No, there should be plenty available right now. So I'd say like if you're at the gallery, I'm looking at it right now, you can go and see, for example, painting 8,256, right? And I just picked one randomly, right? I oh, I see. It says available, not minted. If it says not minted, that one is one of the paintings I'm going to mint. So, okay. Right? But if it says available minted, that's the ones that you can purchase right away. Right? So does that make I sense? See, yeah, yeah. There's no way to sort by just available minted, right? Because if I go to the latest, the, the last one I could find is 9,849 says sold, 852 sold. Yeah, look at, for example, I don't know, 8,260. That one right now is... Uh, so you just have to click basically and kind of kind of browse through. Yeah, um, yeah go back in time a bit, a little bit. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't quite build all the filters that I would have built if I knew the level of activity that we were going to have. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I did upgrade the site over over time, but I haven't kind of fully built it to with, with the expectation that we were having thousands of people buying a single day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just kind of browsing through historically and looking. And, and one, one of the things that you notice is uh, sub 100, like the first 100, mm-hmm. they turn dramatically blue. Yeah. And, that, and that's just, is that due to congestion? Is that less uh, congestion, basically? Or no, less difficulty. I, uh, Sorry. I, right. I, I, actually, it's a little tricky, right? So, yeah. So, if you look at painting Cedo, the, the first block, uh, the Genesis block, it mm-hmm. has kind of a grayish, bluish color. Mm-hmm. That is actually the base color, right? They all share, the whole collection shares this kind of base color for, for contrast. And so that the mathematical functions that embed all the other colors work well, right? And so at the beginning, it's mostly difficulty because there's no transactions going on, right? So nobody's paying mm. any gas fees. Nobody's transferring any money. It just, Ethereum is I running see. and miners are running. And so it's just uh, difficulty that's changing. Yeah, and then around 25 or so, it starts to get kind of blue streaky. Yeah, yeah, it starts to be more kind of ocean waves type right. thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun to watch. I, I love those early paintings. And then uh, 
painting 80 is where there's that uh, first transaction, right? So all the way until 80, that's how they look like. Very Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you if you if this is a fun thing to browse through, if you if you go from seventy nine to eighty, mm-hmm. it's just a dramatic change in the way it looks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's very cool. Awesome. Well, this has been I, I'm so glad to hear that you're you're embracing and figuring out ways to add are we even store these these large images because it's it's so important to to make sure that this data is all you know, backed up in some sense. That'll, that'll be a nice addition, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely want to give it a try. Don't, don't want to overpromise, but it looks like it's uh, possible. So once once it's all minted and also all sold, then I'm probably going to try that. I don't want to do it now because I would never, you know, want to mess around with folks that are looking at OpenSea and they're looking at everywhere for like metadata and everything. And if I would update it now, it would it would cause glitches, right? Because these things take a while to, to, to refresh and it, it also would be, a little unfair because people are buying them right now. And so some, I can't do them all at once, right? I have to, I have to do one, uh, one by one, right? I will have to basically do 10,000 transactions, unfortunately, right? So it's going to take a while. You might want to wait for ETH2 and so hopefully some of these gaps to get prices to come down a bit. <laughs> That's actually a good idea. Maybe I will wait for that. It's going to take a long time and I haven't even actually tested doing so, right? So I don't, yeah. don't want to overpromise, but that, but but it's certainly, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's something that I would love. You're to probably going to have to take these contracts on the test net again, right? And then just like do, do some testing there before you actually... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's actually a, a, the same contract that's deployed to Rinkeby mm-hmm. Network because I, I deployed there before deploying to Mainnet, right? So theoretically, I could try with it. I the, the only the only challenge I just, I'm not sure is hundred percent the same because it's so long. I, I don't quite remember. Right. <laughs> but I, but I, I think I can figure that out. Yeah. Crazy. So one last question: these these have exploded in terms of collectors flocking to them and saying this is a piece of, and, and rightfully so, this is a piece of blockchain history. Mm-hmm. Uh, prices have gone pretty crazy, and I'm sure that will continue to happen. What are the mm-hmm. attributes that are, you're seeing emerge that collectors care about? I mean, obviously, there's low number count, which is mm-hmm. interesting, before the first uh, transactions actually started happening, mm-hmm. so 79 and below. There's historic moments that, you, like you said, where people are pointing out and say, this was a very important block, and... I'd want to own this one because it represents something important in the history of Ethereum. What what other things are you are you seeing out there that collectors are digging into? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's fascinating watching the the community evolve on, on how they value right the different paintings or what they look for in, in terms of rarity or things they care about. Right. And so and what's what's even more funny is I called it the other day. I called it the crypto art the barista language because <laughs> it's like oh I want to triple prime with uh, right <laughs> with the golden on my on first and go easy on the minting. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> It's like this mixture, this perfect mixture that a collector is looking for. <laughs> exactly. That's that's my cup of tea, right? So so there's the, the metric I like the most is the minor rarity percent, right? And and without digressing too much into if you want to, we can go deeper. But basically it uh, shows how rare the miners in your painting are, right, as a set relative to the entire collection, right? So that's a good summary that I like personally, but I've seen people really are into gold miner position on like the first blog and the last blog. Those are very popular. But what does that mean exactly? The, say that again, is, is a <laughs> gold miner position? There's a golden miner. Every painting has a golden miner where the miner has, has a, a golden, you know, 
ribbon around it, right? And so, it, and it goes throughout the collection, it goes in order, right? So the first painting has it in, 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 in the first blog, the second painting in the second blog, and it just wraps around like Bachman style, right? Like uh, once you get to painting 576, it is back to the first block, right? Mm. Uh, and so on, so on, right? So some paintings have it on the first block if it's every 576 paintings, right? And some paintings have it in, in the last block, right? So those are rare attributes that, that I like and that, that people are liking too. And some have it in a block number that's a prime number, right? Mm. So that's a, that's a golden miner on a prime block. So lo- lots of those. There's there's uh, one I like a lot too is the one block miners. So those are miners that have mine only one block in the entire collection. Mm. And so you will only see them in that painting. Interesting. Uh, so is that just a really lucky miner, basically? It's, it's a miner that uh, maybe was just experimenting or mm-hmm. that maybe did a test and then somehow changed its address, right? Or just kind of was wanted to mess around, right? And just to mine only one block in the, in the entire history of, of the collection, right? And some paintings have multiple of those, right? So you can have like a painting. I think the painting that has the most has seven one-time one-block miners. Wow. Right. Uh, this is super, super geeky, man. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen some serious rabbit holes in crypto. This one's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I might have designed uh, some of this. In <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> might, might be one of the most hardcore of all the projects. I remember like on the art blog side, they have like chromey squiggles and the squiggles mm-hmm. going this way. And it has these extra full spectrums or not. And like there's all these little things and there's probably, I'd say eight or so things to juggle in your brain. And when you evaluate mm-hmm. something, but it sounds like there's like just a pretty, a few dozen <laughs> different ways to slice and dice this data, right. To make it interesting to, uh, to a collector. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on and different collectors are looking at different things and some are paid, some are even finding stuff that I wasn't looking at. And it's amazing. Folks reaching out to me, like messaging me, like, Hey, what do you think of this? And I'm like, Oh, wow, that's amazing. I didn't even think about that. That's <laughs> so, awesome. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of uh, playful combinations to look at for sure. Well, Sebastian, thank you so much for, for sharing your history with us. And what a, what a very cool story. I, I, I have a couple because of our, our conversation that we had months mm-hmm. ago. And so yeah. thank you for that. And I will continue to collect. They're, they're very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I, I really appreciate your time and, and having me on the show. It, it was a, a lot of fun. And, and thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Last question, though, actually, I, before mm-hmm. we, we go, you, you mentioned your Discord a few times. We'll link that up in the show notes. How about, do you have much of a Twitter presence as well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, not like, but yeah, it's, it's CryptoArte on Twitter as well. So yeah, definitely. I, I, right now it's, it's crazy. Like I can't follow up what's going on because there's so much activity, right? But yeah, yeah, definitely present there too. Very cool. All right. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. All right, that is the end of the show. One thing real quick before you jump on to the next podcast. We are a brand new show over here at Proof. So if you like the content and you want us to keep producing more, which of course we will, do us a favor, your favorite podcast platform, head on over there, give us a five-star review. It would be much appreciated. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.